Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. I want more to feel free and tell them that we love them. I've looked at clear cuts and burnt forest and I've felt outraged. We are the crowning glory of God's creation, and all of nature was made for us. Nature is more productive because of us, not less. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. I was being sarcastic, which is another big word you'll learn in school. What's the word on the street? Hegelian dialectics. What? This is Wretched Radio, and today's special word is Hegelian dialectic. You say, watch your mouth, Friel. Nope, it's actually a legitimate term. And a reminder why philosophy is such a headache, and it is such a nuisance when it comes to defending biblical orthodoxy. Uh, If you've never been introduced to Georg Hegel, he was, of course, a liberal German philosopher, Aren't they all? He died in 1831, and he created a system of thinking, a worldview philosophy to help us understand how it is that we are evolving. Karl Marx, Frederick Engels, uh, Antonio Gramsci, they all grabbed what he concocted for the spiritual world and applied it to the physical world, and it is being used to tear down basically all of Western civilization. And while, of course, we have an interest in that, we're more interested in how the Hegelian dialectic is being used in the church to tear down biblical orthodoxy, to become way more progressive and liberal. I was reading an article sent in to idea at wretched.org from one David Cloud at wayoflife.org fundamentalist Baptist website who did the finest job I've read so far in simplifying what the Hegelian dialectic is, because usually philosophy can make your eyes cross. Well, what? What does that word mean? How did, so how does that fit with uh, reading philosophy books? Oh, I just, I get a really bad headache because it's so man-made and it's so made up, and it's so unbiblical, but this fellow did a bang-up job of helping us to understand how it is progressives are using the Hegelian dialectic, whether they are even mindful of it or not, in order to dismantle and deconstruct traditional Orthodox Christianity. So courtesy of David Cloud, George Wilhelm Hegel, liberal German philosopher, led the German idealist movement. That that just is not our concern. Turning his back on Orthodox Christianity and holding to a type of pantheism. So now you know who the fellow is who concocted this scheme. He denied no such thing as absolute truth. Please note, he died in 1831. Postmodernism has been afoot long before postmodernism actually took root. This was a fellow who denied absolute truth. He said it's narrow and dogmatic, to assume that of two opposite assertions, that's going to be important for us, one must be true and the other false. He just didn't like that idea that there's a right and a wrong, a good or a bad, a false and a true. So he rejected the Bible, and he believed that man's evolutionary journey, human history, it's a process, don't panic at this, of conflict 
and synthesis. Don't worry. That, like I said, this this guy does a bang up job of explaining this in terms that I found quite accessible. So he believed in synthesis. And that was called, to get to synthesis, the dialectical process of spirit. So let me, let me just put it into the simplest terms, which is basically all I'm able to do. In the Hegelian dialectic, you have something called the thesis. And typically, that is the traditional. That is the way that society has concluded we ought to live. This is what is best for human flourishing. This is what is definitely true and right. That's called the thesis. But typically, there's going to be somebody who comes along and disagrees and says, well, pretty much the opposite. That would be the antithesis, the antithesis. So you've got two sides of the argument. Now, how do we resolve this conflict? Well, the Hegelian dialectical process of spirit was to take the thesis and the antithesis and combine them together to form a fuller understanding of truth in a synthesis. That's what the word synthesis means. It takes the opposing views mushes them together and creates something betterer. And that becomes then the basis for another dialectical process of opposition and synthesis. So you come to your synthesis. So you you think blue is the best color. Somebody thinks red is the best color. Well, we get together and purple is what we've synthesized the color into. Now, please note, doesn't look like either red or blue, does it? But supposedly, it's superior. Now, just because you've arrived at a superior synthesis, that doesn't mean that you're done. No cereba, because somebody's going to come along and go, purple, hmm, you think that's the ideal? I think it's orange. So what do you do? You smash purple and orange together, and you get, Jimmy, tell everybody what you get when you put purple and orange together. Green. Do you? I don't. You're making that up, because I didn't know either. The point is. You get yourself a synthesis that is ongoing and evolving and progressively we're just getting better and better, aren't we? That's the Hegelian, Hegelian dialectic, the process of spirit. Hegel believed the created stress of opposing positions was essential for developing higher states of consciousness. In the moment of synthesis, the opposition are both preserved and transcended, negated and fulfilled. That's a quote from a book called Spiritual Politics. So Hegel believed this is what is true when it comes to thinking, philosophy, morality, worldview. This spiritual evolution. Along came Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, they believed that the Hegelian dialectic for the spiritual could be used in the physical. They had a desired end. Please note, they knew where they wanted to go, but it was the instrument of the Hegelian dialectic that was the transportation system to get them there. So back to our David Cloud article. The objective of Hegelian dialectics in this sense is to replace something old with something new. So you replace capitalism with communism, traditional Bible doctrine with modernism, a traditional education system based on moral absolutes. Don't need that. It needs to be a new one based on relativism. 
You've got new math. Why? What was wrong with the old math? Seemed to work. We built a lot of stuff with it. No, we got to get rid of that. And historically, the Hegelian dialectic has been used, and you're going to hear it in action and go, that's going on all around me. Hegelian dialectics is used today to create a paradigm shift, replacing an old paradigm with a new one. It's social evolution, political transcendence. It's an ever-evolving system that never arrives at absolute truth. It's all relative. It's all negotiable. And please note, the ends justify the means. What are the tactics that people use? This is going to ring a bell. Lots of them. Dialogue. Huh? That's right. We need to have a dialogue so that you can understand my side, repent of your side, and join me in this new synthesis. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Compromise, consensus forming, conflict resolution, deceit, redefinition of words. Zoink, Scoob, aren't we seeing that tons? Giving new names to objectionable things. You know, like gender-affirming care. What? Reproductive health care. What? What are they trying to do? Flip the old model on its head. We use new terms. Crisis creation obfuscation, uh, make it complicated and tricky uh, so that only the scientific experts can understand what we're talking about here. Now, the Hegelian dialectic, it has been employed by communists, Marx and Engels. They take his philosophy of spiritual and call it dialectical materialism. So we deal with economics, not the spirit, economics by using Hegel's system. It has been used by educators in America, 1920s, to move the educational system from the old concept of moral absolutism and submission to a higher authority. And might I add that the schools existed to help support parents in their effort to raise children who are productive citizens of society. Now, boy. We need legislation to keep schools from keeping information from parents about their kids' supposed gender confusion. What, what happened? How did all of this change? The Hegelian dialectic was used. And you say, well, all of this is semi-interesting, Friel. But what does that have to do with the church? And that is where this particular article gets Exceedingly interesting to those of us who like what the Bible teaches. You felt it, haven't you? It probably the first time may have been liberal Protestantism, but you were disassociated from that. But inside evangelicalism, it was the emergent movement. Now, modernism, what is going on inside of the church? Answer the Hegelian dialectic next on Wretched Radio. Might I, first of all, thank you for the hundreds of wretches who supported Masters Academy International last year. And if you are now perhaps intrigued by what they do at Masters Academy International, would encourage you to check them out. Yes, we're doing a Bible distribution program with them, but they're training pastors around the globe. Seminary trained students at the Master Seminary return to their native land. 
and they get plugged into a Master's Academy International mini seminary outlet where they teach indigenous pastors how to rightly divide the word of truth. It's brilliant. And these indigenous pastors trained at the Master's Seminary train indigenous pastors. Brilliant. It is a wonderful ministry and you could be supporting a pastor you could be supporting a seminary overseas and you'll be strengthening the local church you can do that at wretched.org pastor wretched.org pastor well in a world that is undeniably cluttered with quick fixes and superficial solutions now comes a journey into the heart of real change I'm talking about Transformed Season 3. It's finally here, and we're inviting you into the lives of individuals that are facing the giants of fear and guilt and grief. But hey, there's a twist. These aren't your typical battles. These battles have been fought with the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. You'll witness loneliness and overeating and relational tension met with grace, truth, and love that can only come from the one who knows us the best. This season's not just about watching others. It's about seeing yourself and your struggles and the path to true transformation through biblical counseling. We'll together dive deep into the heart of what it means to be transformed. Transformed Season 3 can be found right now at wretched.org slash transformed3. Record number of children are attending the Tomorrow Clubs in Africa. You should see the videos. Hundreds of kids run to meet at a Tomorrow Club in Africa. Why? Because Tomorrow Clubs, their weekly kids meeting clubs where the kids, yep, they get some treats, but they get the gospel. They get the Bible. They get Bible memorization. Remember, we used to force our kids to do that, but now that we're oppressors, we don't want to be toxic and make our kids memorize Bible verses when it's about a gazillion times easier than when you get old. And they worship the Lord, they pray together, and they get loved on. Tomorrow clubs, I'm telling you, record-breaking. The images are so encouraging, so cool, and I would encourage you to consider being a Tomorrow Club partner. One dollar per child per month. Encourage you to please consider supporting the great ministry, tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched, tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. <laughs> God has given the church many gifts for the building up of the body. One gift is the ability to discern between true and false spirits. Satan masquerades as an angel of light, and many false teachers present their lies as God's truth. But God has given us His truth, and He has equipped us to tell true from false in accordance with His Word. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Two words that explain... What is going on inside of the church? This is Wretched Radio as liberalism continues to creep. In fact, it's looking more and more like a tidal wave in mainline Protestant denominations and even inside of evangelicalism. There is some sort of concerted effort to take what we've always understood and turn it into something that doesn't even resemble it. And the two words that help us understand what's afoot is Hegelian dialectic. Georg Hegel, a German philosopher, died 1831. He did not believe in God. He believed in evolution. He didn't believe in absolute truth. So he saw the world as a thesis, the state of the way things are. How do we observe reality? This is what we believe to be true. 
Alas, somebody believes in the opposite. So that would be the antithesis, the antithesis. And because there's no right or wrong, because God does not get to wear the referee jersey to determine who is committing a foul, we synthesize the thesis and the antithesis. And what do we get? We get ourselves something presumably better, I would suggest to you. It is something that doesn't resemble truth. Because if one idea, the thesis, is true, the antithesis is false, or even vice versa. You put the two together, and at best, all you get is watered-down truth. At best, but you're not done. Because the synthesis then becomes a thesis itself, and somebody disagrees with it. So what do you do? You create a new synthesis. And before long, you don't even recognize the original thesis. And that is being used by communists and Marxists and socialists to upend the traditional system of capitalism and to turn it into something entirely different. It's been used in the education system to create a system. You'd go back to, you'd go to grade school and you'd, you'd probably be mystified. What in the world? You mean math answers are optional? How did that happen? Well, you can thank George Hegel. But our interest is the church. How is the Hegelian dialectic being used in the church? Well, we see this happening a lot. David Cloud at wayoflife.org, he wrote a really helpful article to explain how the Hegelian dialectic gets employed regularly. Quote, The rebellion is subtle at first, simply moving away from the traditional way of doing church. You know, it's so stodgy. Let's just update it. Uh Uh-oh. It seems that that would be potentially helpful, I guess. But look out. There's more to come later. Hey, why don't we just start studying the roles that we play inside of the church and you get yourself female pastors. And eventually it gets to the point of ordaining lesbian pastors. Barriers to change have to be broken down if we're going to stay relevant. And for the sake of peace and unity, interdenominational barriers, interreligious barriers need to be broken down too. And what do you end up with? Well, you end up with a synthesis of nothing, combining all of these elements into, if you will, kind of a one-world religion sort of affair. Deception is key in the dialectic process. So those who initiate, they have an objective. They know where they want to go. They just use this as the horse that they ride in on. They know it's going to be resisted. So they resort to deception, especially at the beginning, to break down resistance to the goal. And I can't help but think about The argument that is used so often to advance something so ridiculous, the Mott and Bailey. Hey, do you believe, Jimmy, do you believe that people should be happy? Uh, Absolutely. That's why we need gay marriage. (laughs) I didn't say that. Oh, don't you want people to be happy? Mm -hmm. That's the Mott and Bailey. You could also say that's Hegelian. That's how we go about the business of changing traditional. So in the case of the theological modernists, they present the new theology as a minor issue, hiding their real agenda. 
Those who use this know the process has been carried out. The resistance will have been broken down in an atmosphere created for the implementation of the original goal. It's a Jesuit philosophy. The ends justify the means. It is pragmatism. Consider 2008. Do you remember the Rethink Conference? Rethink Conference? You say, well, that could be anything but Christian. No, that was Robert Schuller, which frankly is anything but Christian. But the point is, he held a conference and it used Hegelian dialectics because he, well, just is anti-Christian, new age, humanistic. How do you get there? Well, the conference was, quote, a convergence, you hear the word synthesis, a convergence of some of the most influential Christian and global thinkers. This was their language. These great thinkers were described as, quote, respected icons in media, politics, faith, science, business, and technology. And they had contradictory ideas. And we were going to gather at the Rethink Conference to create something new. Quote from Erwin McManus, Mosaic guy. The idea of the conference was, quote, bring all the different thoughts and ideas and create something cohesive and meaningful. Oh. So that means the exclusivity of Jesus has to go. Yep, you got it. The process involved hearing what everybody had to say. So they would give a 20-minute lecture, and then the participants had to wrestle with it, dialogue about it, agree or disagree with it, then take it a step further and make it your own. Boom! Hegelian dialectic. This is exactly what is being used regularly. Using a secular idea to jettison what you and I know to be true. Now, here's a Lutheran pastor who described this process. I don't know what synod he belongs to, but this is, I think, a helpful quote. A little long, but helpful. I'd fully accepted the new theology or thinking. Having first gone through a traumatic time in which the Christian faith, which I'd arrived there at the seminary, was challenged. So the guy goes to Sem. And the professors challenge him on his beliefs? Yep. Why? The reason presented for this challenging was to bring us to really think through our theology, to stretch our faith, to move us to a deeper understanding of the faith. Well, that that sounds good, but that's not the goal. They want to dismantle and deconstruct. That was the rationale that was presented to the more conservative members of the synod who would ask, what's going on there? We're just trying to help them grow in their understanding of truth by exploring different viewpoints. Sound familiar? He writes, This really was deceitful because the aim and intention, as I came to know later, was not to stretch our faith, but to move us from historical faith into the new thinking. We felt it was a great shift. It was traumatic, but it was presented as representing only minor doctrinal differences. But that's not what they were after. I've said many times to my conservative friends, and this is a word for us. This, this, is, this is written directly for us. Because you're going to meet these people if you don't know them already. You think in terms of one way of processing. You don't understand. They think in an entirely different way. You think in terms, one thing is true, the opposite is false. They've adopted a dialectical way of thinking in which there is no true and false, only thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. 
They have effectively adopted Hegel's dialectical way of thinking. There truly are no absolute truths within their system. They'll discuss things with conservatives in a way that gets their opponent to think that they're discussing which of the two positions is right. All the while, the real issue for them is there is no certain answer. That's from a Lutheran who saw it happening inside of Lutheran seminaries. And I've been to those seminaries, and it's not just Lutheran. I've been to Presbyterian, the United States of America, not America, PCUSA. There's no absolute truth going on there. And it's happening right now. Elisa Childers, brand new article at discipleship.org. Five signs your church might be heading toward progressive Christianity. Number one, there's a lowered view of the Bible. Number two, feelings are emphasized over facts. Number four, historic terms are redefined. Number five, the heart of the gospel shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. You say, what happened in number three? Essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. John Pavlovitz, he's a progressive, said, There are no sacred cows in progressive Christianity, tradition, dogma, and doctrine. All fair game because all pass through the hands of flawed humanity. So they redefine, reinterpret, hot-button moral issues. And we know the buffet they've concocted, including cardinal doctrines such as the virgin conception and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only sacred cow is no sacred cows. What is she identified? You guessed it. The Hegelian dialectic, which Christians need to reject 100% because it's, say it with me, my Hegelian dialectical friend, wrong. This is Wretched Radio. Wretched Radio begins in 3, 2, one. God gave me a Ferrari because I am a Ferrari. You're a Ferrari too. When God made you, he had all the options put on. You are fully loaded and totally equipped. So do this with me. Where did we ever come up with the style of preaching we have today? There is some entertaining preaching, but not convicting preaching, and the legacy has been tragic. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Would you like to know the four magic words? Of course you would. This is Wretched Radio. There are four words that are biblically endorsed that have power in two situations. A, when we evangelize, we must be using these biblically ordained words. Two, if we would like to proclaim to an increasingly darkened society, hey, what you're doing is evil, we need to be using these Four words. Would you like to know what they are? Jimmy, do you know what the four words are? Absolutely. Oh, boy. <laughs> what? You know, I just, it's like I just put a loaded gun in your hand. <laughs> just feel free to shoot anywhere you want. We'll ask questions later. Okay. What are the four magic words? John MacArthur Study Bible. <laughs> That's not it. Okay, let me try again. Let me try again. It's not that that wouldn't actually work, (laughs) but those are my four magic words. You want to try it again? Go serve your king. Oh, that's those are very, very good words. But the four, (laughs) 
not magical, biblically ordained words that have power because they have God's backing and God's authority are, thus saith the Lord. You want somebody to get saved. You want somebody to be convicted that what they are doing is B-A-D terrible. We need to bring in an authority that can definitively determine that action is bad. And if we do not return to invoking God's name in our moral arguments with culture, we're going to continue to lose. Christians are not ready for the age of adult AI. This was an article at Digital Liturgies by one Samuel James that I just, I was rejoicing because he, he was, he was demonstrating the imperative of returning to biblical language when it comes to denouncing activities that the world currently winks at. And the issue in his mind that he was talking about was digital pornography. It's his contention that within 20 years, there will be no human porn. It'll all be AI generated. And that means we're going to lose some of our arguments. What are some of the accusations that Christians, evangelicals have made, whether it's on cable news or blogging or just discussing it to try to persuade people that porn is really awful, they will say it hurts women. Does it hurt women? Yes. Yes, it does. We should know, however, that the women, at least in the West, at least in America, they do it for the paycheck. That's why, that's why they do it. And they would say, it's not hurting me. We know better. We know that it hurts them. It objectifies them, it, women and men. I, the whole thing is just horrible anthropologically. But they would say, well, it doesn't. All right. Well, we say that it does. Now, what if this fellow's prediction is correct and that human women aren't needed anymore? Where's our argument? It's gone. It, it hurts. Um, well, it hurts the people who have to design it, and it's still just pixels. What's your problem? And we are out of steam. Second argument that we tend to use as Christians, and it is valid. Please, please note, porn is bad for women, men. It's bad for everybody. That's not the point. When it is no longer actual people, that argument is deflated. So also is the argument that it is promoting sex trafficking. Because first of all, in the West, most of the people involved in that industry are were not sex trafficked. Now, it could more overseas, granted. But let's just say in America, that's not the majority of instances. Regardless, we can debate that statistic later. When it becomes AI, then there is no sex trafficking. It's nothing but a computer image. And suddenly we find ourselves going, well, what are we supposed to say? The four magic words. Thus saith the Lord. We have, none of the arguments have been wrong. For instance, the marriage issue. I've heard many people say, hey, it's just not God's best. Well, that's true, kind of bare minimum, but it's more than that. And 
you could say, well, it, it is damaging in that the people who participate in those activities are the, the sexually transmitted diseases. That's true. The problem, of course, is when they come up with medications for these things, that that threat is gone. What are we left with? Thus saith the Lord. Why is porn wrong? Because God says so. Let me take you to this article with appreciation of Samuel James. He writes this, the misconception, this misconception of the two aforementioned arguments leaves anti-porn activists unprepared to address either the boom of websites like, well, apparently there's a website that people can post their own homemade porn that, by the way, generates five billion dollars. These are people doing it voluntarily just to make money. So this misconception about these aforementioned arguments, uh, arriving at porn's moral illicitness via its harm to the ones who produce it, Christians and other cultural conservatives are going to be hard up for answers as to how AI-generated porn harms anyone. I would Honestly, our arguments have not gained steam. They really gained no traction with our culture. Look, these arguments are right. It harms people, and it does involve illegal behavior, whether it's sex trafficking or otherwise. But the world just seems to yawn at that, staggeringly. In fact, the feminist would say these women are actually empowered because they're making the decision for themselves, and it's their body. Oh, yeah, yeah, we know we're right, but it's not winning the day. And I would suggest to you, it is because when you're dealing with a darkened mind, they will find any excuse. They will find another poll, another survey, another medical report that says, no, it's not. And off they go to the sin races. We need to be returning to our four biblical words. God says so. He tells us that is evil. It's deforming. It it, it is degrading. That's the message that we need to return to. And that's the point that he ultimately arrives at in this presentation. Anticipating this, conservatives need to recover a distinctly personal case against pornography. It simply won't do to try to elicit post-Christian outrage against porn by emphasizing the possibility of sex trafficking or exploitation. In the era of digitally generated content, The question is not going to be who is hurt making this, because the answer is, well, really, no one. Rather, the question will be, how am I hurt by consuming this? And why is this, here it comes, objectively wrong for me to enjoy? The answer, thus saith the Lord. I know why evangelicals have demurred from those four words. Well, you know, the world doesn't believe the Bible. That's precisely why we quote it. The, the, the world thinks that Christians are foolish. And what of it? We know that it's foolish to the world, perhaps. We forgot 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3. It is foolishness. We are fools for Christ. And we need to return to invoking an authority that is bigger than a statistic, an observation, an emotional ploy. We need to engage God in this conversation from his article. This will be uncomfortable because it will force Christians to make moral arguments that appear irredeemably at odds with secular society. That's true. 
The benefits of emphasizing things like exploitation is that such concepts resonate with non-Christian audiences. There's nothing wrong with seeking this common ground, but the reality is we're not going to have that ground at all very soon. See, I don't, I don't think that's actually made much ground personally, but look at the, look at the explosion. It's, it's like the number one online industry. Nevertheless, I agree with him about our argument. The arguments against consuming or licensing pornography that will matter in the age of AI will be moralistic arguments. He takes a interesting angle at this and the destruction that occurs to hearts and emotions by feasting on a fake version of sex that collapses us inward this is somebody's child will have to become you are somebody's child but that still requires that we say because there are going to be people who deny that no it's not bad for me i got a good job six-figure guy i'm doing fine watch porn on the regs well it's hurting you nope it's not so what do we need in that instance? I agree with this fellow. It does hurt people. But the only way to persuade them is not with our authority, not with our reasoning or logic, but with thus saith the Lord. Quote, it seems like very likely Christians will have to bring God into the discussion. Amen, sir. When there's no one to exploit, there is still God to offend. When there is no one to be trafficked, there is still God who sees. And when there is no one to stand over your shoulder to intervene or care, there is still a God who saves. Thus saith the Lord. This is Wretched Radio. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. You know, being a part of the Wretched family without even realizing it, you have become an unofficial encourager. When you listen to and you share our posts on social media and YouTube, you're actually encouraging not just us, but the other people that you're in connection with. So you are an unofficial encourager. We want to talk about upgrading that role from encourager to actually a frontline partner. And so I'm inviting you to become an ongoing monthly gospel partner. Think about it. Imagine with your support, we could reach not just millions, but gazillions. All right, maybe not gazillions, but a lot of souls all over the world with the life-changing gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are not in place in your life right now where you can do that, understand that we are still so appreciative of all of your encouragement. Wretched.org slash donate. That's where you'll find all of the answers to all of the questions that you possibly would ever have about becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Might I, first of all, thank you for the hundreds of wretches who supported Masters Academy International last year. And if you are now perhaps intrigued by what they do at Masters Academy International, would encourage you to check them out. Yes, we're doing a Bible distribution program with them, but they're training pastors around the globe. Seminary trained students at the Masters Seminary return to their native land and they get plugged into a Master's Academy International mini-seminary outlet where they teach indigenous pastors how to rightly divide the word of truth. It's brilliant. And these indigenous pastors trained at the Master's Seminary train indigenous pastors. Brilliant. It is a wonderful ministry and you could be supporting a pastor, you could be supporting a seminary overseas and you'll be strengthening the local church. You can do that at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. 
Well, in a world that is undeniably cluttered with quick fixes and superficial solutions, now comes a journey into the heart of real change. I'm talking about Transformed Season 3. It's finally here, and we're inviting you into the lives of individuals that are facing the giants of fear and guilt and grief. But hey, there's a twist. These aren't your typical battles. These battles have been fought with the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. You'll witness loneliness and overeating and relational tension met with grace, truth, and love that can only come from the one who knows us the best. This season's not just about watching others. It's about seeing yourself and your struggles and the path to true transformation through biblical counseling. We'll together dive deep into the heart of what it means to be transformed. Transformed Season 3 can be found right now at wretched.org slash transformed3. Books of the Bible Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. It is a thorough, systematic presentation of the gospel. The two major themes are sin and righteousness. Sinners are counted righteous by imputation of Christ's righteousness. If you wish to understand the gospel, the clearest, most thorough explanation is in the book of Romans. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Four more words. This is Wretched Radio. Not those four, but here are the new four words. Jimmy has something to say. <laughs> A little hyphen right there. <laughs> say. That's four. I did the math right there on the spot. All right. What? Well, I, I was just I was just uh, talking in the break that um, I, I think that AI generated porn is still going to hurt other people and not just ourselves. In what regard? Uh, it's still going to impact and damage marriages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's still going to be unrealistic expectations from those that watch it that they'll take back into their marriages. Agreed. And then think about the depravity. And the increase in depravity, if you can even say there'll be an increase in depravity. Oh, what they're going to be able to create. Oh, the types of porn that they'll be able to create. That's going to just be ridiculous. All right. So here, I'm going to, I'm going to play the role of the pagan. Ooh, I'm going to play the role of the pagan. No, it doesn't destroy every marriage. And we've got sociological data that suggests it actually helps many marriages. Hmm. Thus saith the Lord. See, I, I, look, I agree with you. It will continue to hurt people. Whether they agree or not, it does, because that's what sin always accomplishes. It hurts people. It, it robs God of glory from an obedient child who is swimming in a slew of sin. I, I, I agree. But even with that, Jimmy, so you can, you can make the marriage argument, and I agree with you, it is valid. But they're going to reject it. They're simply going to bring to the party an expert. Oh, we talked to Dr. Schwarzenstein. They were interviewed on CNN who said it's just the opposite. And apparently there was a peer-reviewed study out of Oxford. And we are just left going, oh, well, uh, it so we can bring those arguments. That's But they always need to be thus saith the Lord. So if we want to say it's bad for marriage, let me tell you why. This is what the institution is. God created it for this. And any time there is a manifestation of that institution that is not in alignment with what God says, it's going to be bad for people. It's going to be bad for kids because God says so. 
when you are living in willful rebellion against God and you are immersing yourself in that filth, you you are going to become so deformed and corrupted, you aren't even going to know it because God says so. I just think these arguments, I, I don't think any of these arguments really should go away. Mm-hmm. Besides, what makes sex trafficking bad? Thus saith the Lord. See, I, and this is something that I think we've just gotten away from for years now. Because we don't want to seem like, well, that's going to make me look like a Bible-thumping wingnut. Exactly. Isn't that what we are? What do we have without the Bible? What authority do we possibly have? We're just another chirping voice on the Internet. I don't care how many subs you have. You've got no authority. I don't care how many degrees you have. You have no authority. The, 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 the psychiatry, for this reason alone, it's just always mystifying to me that people buy into it. Who, who's the authority in all of this? And the answer basically is, well, I am the psychiatrist because I've studied these issues. And who came up with those ideas that you've digested and probably tweaked a little bit to your own level of comfort? Who, who says that the dream... Ah, that dream represented this. Ah, when you were acting like this toward that person, that was really you and you were just projecting it. That's the word, projecting it onto another person. How do you know that? How do you know that? Who's the, who's the authority that has determined conclusively once and for all, that's the way it is? And the answer is nobody. Or as Queen Elizabeth said in The Crown, my favorite movie line perhaps ever, Nobody. Let me explain that. Like, Jimmy, did I ever tell you this? You you didn't watch The Crown, did you? No, I did not. See, I'm a good husband. I watched The Crown, <laughs> the series. Uh, there was a fair amount of it that we had to... Uh, I mean, there wasn't a ton of it, but it was definitely... You had to keep your finger on the trigger. And Prince Charles had gone up to Wales, delivered a speech in Welch that wasn't in alignment with Buckingham Palace's desire for for his speech. Queen Mum finds out about it. Charles enters into the palace, I believe it was Buckingham, and he has to have the servant, the guard, go ask the queen if she will see her son. Oof. If that's accurate, oof. He enters into her massive bedchambers to explain, Mummy, I just have so much that I want to say. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody meaning the family or nobody meaning the nation. Nobody. Oh, brutal. And who wants to hear us? Who want, Who are we? We're, we're nothing. We got nothing except God's word. That is the hammer. That is the sword. That is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and justice. We have got to return to quoting the Bible. And I know what you're going to hear. They're just going to bat it away. Excuse me. I thought his word never returned void. It's going to accomplish exactly what he desires for it to accomplish. And we need to start wielding the sword. And we need to start banging the hammer. We need to be quoting the Bible. We need to be engaging people when we have these conversations that are out in restaurants or in public. We we need to be saying, let me just tell you, I'll I'll just put my cards on the table and, and you can decide to walk away if you choose. 
But everything that I'm going to try to say to you is based on God's word, because otherwise you have absolutely no reason to listen to me. I'm a guy with an opinion, but I'm going to quote to you the Holy Bible. You do with that as you see fit, and you're going to hear it. Well, I don't think that that is true. I know. I'm just telling you what it says. Do that in evangelism, too, by the way. We have a tendency to sometimes tiptoe around the gospel and never get there because, well, then they're going to know that's from the Bible. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to say, well, you know, I, I, I just don't believe that's true. I know you don't. I'm just telling you what it says because you have a supernatural arsenal. Unleash it. Here's the, here's the code. Quote the Bible. There's your arsenal quote. Code. Quote the Bible. Let the lion out of the cage and let the lion defend himself. Otherwise, I got to tell you, we're just good. We don't even realize how depraved it is going to become at this point. We, th we think we've got an idea. I'm just telling you, we can be a whole lot worse. We, we could be. We could be Rome. We, we could be one of those, what we would call a primitive society, as if those people were dumb. They certainly weren't, but they were definitely depraved. And it was until the Bible came along and said, thus saith the Lord, that people stopped some of those public atrocities. Sure, sin happens everywhere. None of us are that naive. But it was the Bible and God's word being applied to Western civilization that flipped everything upside, everything. Marriage got turned up. Attitude toward children got to work, fairness, commerce, how we treat the weak and the infirm. All of it changed with the Bible being applied. And I think we've given up on it. And I think we need to return. Because if we don't, you can't even imagine what AI porn is good. You shouldn't even try to imagine what AI porn is going to look like. It will be individuals sitting in their basements with their depraved and darkened minds who are given license and the tools to create stuff you don't even want to start to ponder. And they're going to, there it is. And somebody's going to want to consume it and they're going to make money. If you had said to civilization, Western civilization 70 years ago, there's going to be a time when people willingly make home pornography. And then they put it up on a website. You'd have to explain what that is for the entire world to see so that they can make a little bit of money. Husbands and wives, boyfriends, girl, for whatever the configuration is. And it generates $5 billion, which is actually an enormous amount today. 70 years ago, it would have been almost unimaginable. It would have just been like our federal budget <laughs> deficit. We, how much do we? 17 trillion, whatever that is. It would have been considered insane. No, they will not do that. Are you out of your mind? No, I'm telling you, they're going to. And we right now, if we have learned anything from history, know that the slippery slope does not stop sliding. It's going to get worse. What is the light? What is salt? How did Jesus change things? Nobody quoted the Bible more than Jesus. No, nobody made more Old Testament allusions to the, to the word of God than Jesus Christ himself. Let's be confident in that. It's funny. It's funny. We see some people who don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit very much. And we go, oh, well, you, 
You 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 don't you don't think that that the Holy Spirit is working and active, but I would ask you: Are we maybe con- committing the exact same fallacy when we think that we have to come up with persuasive, logical, rational reasons why people shouldn't behave, as opposed to quoting the Word of God? Is it possible? It's because we don't believe that the Holy Spirit can actually use it and flip society's light on again. And until tomorrow. Go serve your king.